0: never waste a mistake. If it's a mistake, learn something from it, because it'll be the best lessons you'll ever learn.
1: Welcome to The One You Feed. Throughout time, great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have. Quotes like, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you think ring true, how they feed their good wolf.
2: Being active is more important than ever, and that's why I am excited to introduce ON, perhaps the best-kept secret in the running world. I love these shoes. I have been buying them for four years, and I don't buy anything else. They were founded in 2010 in Zurich, Switzerland, and it's the fastest-growing running brand globally. Their philosophy is that you should run how you were born to run. Instead of correcting your movement, On shoes react to your individual running motion. As I said, I love these shoes. I use them for trail running, for all uh, running on the streets, and just day-to-day wear. They are amazing. And On is offering our listeners an exclusive offer. Try the shoes or gear for up to 30 days commitment free. Head to on-running.com slash feed and pick your favorite shoes and apparel items apply the code try feed at checkout to test your new products for 30 days love them keep them not convinced send them back for a full refund that's on-running.com slash feed and the
1: promo code is try feed thanks for joining us Our guest on this episode is Dr. Norman E. Rosenthal, a world-renowned psychiatrist, public speaker, and best-selling author who is known for his innovative research and inspirational writings. He is currently clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University's School of Medicine. His new book is Supermind, How to Boost Performance and Live a Richer and Happier Life Through Transcendental Meditation. Here's the interview. Hi, Dr. Rosenthal. Welcome to the show.
0: Hi there. Good to be here.
2: I'm excited to have you on. It's kind of fortuitous timing. This was not planned, but when I originally started talking with your publicist, I was not doing TM at the time, and that's what your latest book is about, Transcendental Meditation. Uh, But I've been doing it again now for several months. I had taken it a long time ago when I was like... 18 but i took a refresher course recently and so i've been doing it for the last several months so it's kind of interesting because at the time when we booked you i wasn't but but now i am so we'll definitely dig deeper into that and some of the other work you've done in your career but we'll start like we always do with the parable there's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson he says in life there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle one is a good wolf which represents things like kindness and bravery and love and the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the grandson stops, and he thinks about it for a second, and he looks up at his grandfather and he says, well, grandfather, which one wins? And the grandfather quietly replies, the one you feed. So I'd like to start off by asking you what that parable means to you in your life and in the work that you do.
0: I think it's a profound parable and profound because it's true that whatever we practice is what we will succeed at. And if we practice anger and violence, we will succeed at that. But to my mind, for me personally, that would not be a successful life. That would be a life of destruction. Everything that I've done in my professional and personal life has been geared towards trying to make the world a little bit of a better place which each of us can only do to a very small degree. But if all of us do that, then we can have a very powerful collective force. So I think that practicing good things, it doesn't mean I've always made the best choices, done the best things, but I've always tried. And I think thanks to the knowledge and wisdom I've acquired along the way, I'm doing a better job now than I did before. And that's the way I would like to see for my children, my grandchildren, my friends, and the people listening to the podcast.
2: Well, that's an excellent way to start. One of the things that you are probably most known for is that you were the researcher who discovered seasonal affective disorder, the fact that we get uh, depressed during the wintertime. Tell me a little bit about what led you to that discovery and what you think are some of the most effective treatments for it.
0: As I think of everything that I have contributed, the most important things come first from within, from an insight that is due to me looking deep inside myself and then looking at other people and saying, wait a sec, could this apply to them too? Could this be a general phenomenon? And that's what happened with seasonal affective disorder. I came from South Africa. I was 26 years old. I went to Uh, New York City to do my psychiatry residency, and when winter came and the days became short and dark, I had never previously experienced such a slowing down of my thinking, of my emotions, of my creativity, and that uh, returned in the spring. The momentum and the zest came back with spring and summer, and that happened three years in a row. So perhaps it was not a coincidence that I ended up doing a research fellowship at the National Institute of Mental Health uh, with a group who were looking at cycles, cycles of mood, of light, uh, of day and night. And in that context, I came across some people who had that winter experience much more than I did. And that's when, with the help of colleagues, I put the pieces of the puzzle together and I said, look, these people, we people are having this regular fall-winter depression that gets better in the spring and summer. And it may be due to the light, maybe that the lack of light is driving it. And so let's give these people more light. And I gave myself more light as well. And I immediately felt the effects It was not difficult to discern. I took a big ceiling fixture. I remember back then, all you could get with these sort of four foot long ceiling fixtures with fluorescent bulbs in them. And I put it in my bedroom and, uh, you know, I immediately felt that impact. And so we did research, uh, many research studies to really uh, verify the syndrome and others replicated it and light therapy became a standard treatment uh, over these years. But there are many things that uh, people can do to help themselves with this particular malady.
2: Does seasonal affective disorder tell us anything about other types of depression?
0: Well, I think it shows how there are different inputs and different circuits that can propagate depression and where if you interfere with them, it can actually help depression. So for example, a recent form of research that I have um, gotten into with my colleague, Dr. Eric Finzi, he's a dermatologist and a researcher here in Maryland, uh, we have been looking at Botox uh, for (laughs) depression because uh, paralyzing these frown muscles turns out to be uh, also an antidepressant. So I think that what it can tell us is that there are many specific inputs that can fuel depression. And if you interfere with them in a positive way, uh, bad thinking, negative thoughts, thinking negative thoughts that had led to cognitive behavior therapy. So I think we just have to recognize that depression is fueled by multiple inputs, uh, any of which might be helpful if we modulated it in uh, treating the depression, making people feel better. We have to tackle it in many different ways.
2: One of the things that we talk about on the show an awful lot is the idea that we become great not in spite of our difficulties, but often because of them. And so you wrote a book all about this called The Gift of Adversity, The Unexpected Benefits of Life's Difficulties, Setbacks, and Imperfections. Could you give me a brief synopsis of your thoughts on how do we turn difficulties, setbacks, and imperfections into positive things in our lives?
0: Well, yes. When I began work on that book, It was initially, in my mind, conceptualized as lessons that nobody ever taught me. Mm -hmm. Things that I learned that nobody ever taught me, but I learned them anyway. And they were some of the most important lessons. And when I combed through them, I saw that it was when difficulties occurred, sometimes very terrible difficulties. And so I took many of these incidents from my own life, but also from the lives of some fascinating people whom I was lucky enough to meet. So, for example, as a young man, uh, sitting in a car with my girlfriend, I got attacked and stabbed nearly, nearly to death. And fortunately, I made a complete recovery. But that taught me that every day of life is precious. Every day. Never waste a single day. And so that was uh, one great insight that life gave me that nobody else could give me. Also... Some, some of the things that I describe are mistakes that I made. Well, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have been sitting there. Uh, I should have been, you know, tucked away in some safe place. Mm-hmm. And I remember a wonderful Latin teacher, a woman, came to visit me in the hospital after I'd been stabbed. And I said, you know, I was such an idiot to be sitting there necking in a dark, shady place. And she said, she said, she had this Italian accent, wonderful Italian accent. I'll I'll imitate it. I'm sorry, I'm not a good imitator. She she said, Norman, she said, sitting and necking in dark places is what that's what life is all about. (laughs) She made me feel better. She
2: might have a point.
0: Yeah, she made me feel better. So in any event, you know, when things go wrong, they say you cannot become a master sailor on calm seas. It's only when you're tested and challenged that you can really uh, learn. And so that's a perspective that I particularly want to give to the young people who don't realize that I say never waste a mistake. Uh, If it's a mistake, learn something from it because it'll be the best lessons you'll ever learn.
2: The world is changing faster and faster today, and there's so much uncertainty. And one of the skills that we need to deal with it is to be able to learn things quickly. And the best way i found to do that is Blinkist. Blinkist is a unique and powerful app that works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. And basically what they do is give you the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from over 3,000 non-fiction bestsellers. They can Dense them down into blinks, which you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes. I've found it really helpful for me over the last few weeks to really get up to speed a lot more on racial issues in this country. They've got a ton of great books out there that you can look at, like The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, and so many more. And now they've got a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash wolf to start your free 7-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership and up to 65% off audiobooks that are yours to keep forever. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash wolf to get 25% off a premium membership and a 7-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash wolf. The people who drive industries, entertainment, and culture shape our world every day in bold and dramatic ways. But did you ever wonder how they got there? Behind the Talent features in-depth conversations with people who identify and develop talent, the people who find the people that shape our world. Guests include big league sports scouts, rock star talent agents, and CIA officers. Uncovering the skills and challenges that unite them all is the job of host David Mead, He's an expert speaker and educator, and he brings his own curiosity and insights to each interview to expand our understanding of what it means to be a recruiter in today's world of work. Brought to you by Indeed.com, Behind the Talent is a must-listen for anyone interested in the secrets behind identifying talent and unlocking potential in individuals and organizations. Subscribe to Behind the Talent now, wherever you get your podcasts. Let's turn our attention now to your latest book actually you know you've written a couple books on the subject of transcendental meditation the most recent one is called supermind how to boost performance and live a richer and happier life through transcendental meditation so let's start off and maybe talk about what transcendental meditation is for people who are not familiar with what it is and then we'll talk more about what the supermind is from there
0: transcendental meditation which is often called tm is an ancient form of meditation that comes from India. And it involves sitting down twice a day for about 20 minutes, closing your eyes, and thinking uh, a mantra, which is a word sound that doesn't actually have a meaning. And you do need to be taught. So the book won't actually tell you exactly how to do it. But what the book does, people say, is it a how-to book? I say, no, it's a why-to book. Because our most precious resource is time. So before you are willing to devote 20 minutes twice a day of your precious life, which I've just told you every day is precious, before you devote that time, you have to be persuaded that it's worth your while. So basically, that's how you do it. It sounds very, very simple. And actually, it is simple and automatic. But even simple and automatic things take a little practice and a little learning and a little teaching. That's why it's taught. So for example, when you ski down a, say, modest hill, then gravity is going to do the work for you. Gravity will pull you down. But you do need to know how to work your legs in the right way and your, you know, ski poles in the right way so that you can remain balanced and get down the hill. So even though it's not effortful, it takes a little bit of skill and that can be easily learned Uh, So that's really the actual method. But then what happens to you once you get the hang of it is that when you go into that meditating state, you go into something called transcendence, which happens to be the name of an earlier book on the subject that I wrote. And that is uh, a state of consciousness where you're very calm and very alert, which is kind of unusual to be calm and alert at the same time. And it's very lovely and pleasant and wonderful. And when you do this repeatedly, it begins to settle down your nervous system in a very healthy and positive way.
2: Let's talk about transcendence for a second. Because that's one of those things that I know a lot of people, myself included, find meditation to be challenging. Now, I know that TM, one of the big things is to be effortless about it is to not put any, any effort into it. However, how do you encourage people to continue? Um, maybe if initially, it's difficult to sit there with your brain racing for 20 minutes, because at least in my experience, and a lot of people I've talked to, I'm not one of the I transcended quickly kind of people.
0: Well, I think that's right. I didn't transcend, or at least I didn't realize I was transcending that quickly. But let's take your initial parable with the grandfather. The grandson says, which wolf wins out? And he says, the one you feed. Uh, So that's good. But then in the actual teaching of this child, you have to say, well, how do you feed the good wolf? What do you give the good wolf to feed? How often do you feed? What kind of food is best? So the the basic message is very, very simple. But then when you actually get to do it, you need a little guidance Uh from the grandfather. So in a very analogous way, the actual technique of TM is very simple, but you need a little guidance. And that's why the presence of the teacher who is going to be there for you until you get that technique just where you want it and just where it does the good that you want it to do. And so that's what I would say. You know, there there is in the teaching four successive days. Each day, the teacher goes through the technique with you, asks you for feedback. Then you should come back in a week and say, how are you doing? And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that they have the support. They have the support. So somebody is going to, take you by the hand until you get that technique just where you want it to be. Uh, You know, oftentimes we think, well, this is a pain in the neck. You've got to go back and and have it checked and so on and so forth. No, think of it a different way. Think of it as endless support until you have that technique right. And it's not that difficult. Uh, Oftentimes the the trouble, the biggest trouble is we're forcing it. We're Mm -hmm. judging it. We're saying to ourselves, I'm not doing this well enough. Try harder, work more, whereas it's, it's work less. You know, it's just let it happen. It's, it's that easy and it's so strange because so many of the things that we strive for in life are really quite difficult. So to find something where the actual goal is to be easy is paradoxically uh, a little out of line with the rest of our work
2: very interesting point. Let's talk a little bit about the difference between transcendental meditation and other types of meditation, the type of meditation that we all hear about all the time in today's world is mindfulness. You've got a great chapter in the book, and I think given that you are definitely biased to TM, I think you did a nice job of being relatively even-handed in your perspective, which I know you were trying to do, so uh, nice job.
0: Well, thank you. Um, Yes, I think that the important thing is for somebody to just acknowledge a bias right up front because I think we're all biased based on our own experiences. You know, I've had this amazing uh, ride with TM. It's been so wonderful. It's changed who I am as a person. So naturally, I'm extremely enthusiastic about it. You know, I'm not here to convert anybody or persuade anybody. I'm just here to just share uh, a wonderful experience that I've had personally and professionally, because many of my patients now meditate with a technique that helps you to feed the good wolf, basically. Um, Because as you feel nicer within yourself, other people respond better to you. Other people feel nicer to have you in their presence, and then they are better people. So you're not only feeding your own good wolf, you're feeding the good wolves all around you, because you're putting out good energy. Now, as you point out, mindfulness is very different. When you practice mindfulness, whether it is focusing on an object, focusing on the breath, or thoughts like loving kindness, for example, you're given a very specific directive, focus on thus and such, uh, experience it moment to moment in the present, And you are taught how to go about doing that. Now, that is a process that involves the part of the brain, which is the prefrontal cortex, where decisions are made, judgments are made, active uh, instructions are followed. In contrast, when you automatically access something, as you do with a mantra in TM, that part of the brain is not really online. And when you start judging your TM or saying this isn't good enough or whatever, then you actually interfere with the process because you're bringing that prefrontal cortex online. In addition, there are deep-seated circuits in the brain called the default mode network. That's a network of pathways that come alive when the brain is not focusing on anything in particular. And as you can imagine, that set of circuits shuts off during mindfulness when you're focusing And it comes alive during transcendence. So all of this is to say that these are very different practices. They ask different things of the meditator. They have different effects on the brain. And so we should imagine that they would have different effects on a person's life. When I ask people who do mindfulness, and in that chapter, there are two people who do both, TM and mindfulness. So they basically compare the effects Mindfulness does just what it purports to do. It helps people stay in the present, in the here and now, and therefore understand the reality of the changing world, both external and internal, from moment to moment. TM does exactly what it purports to do. It takes you into a different state of consciousness called transcendence when you meditate. And then here's where the leap comes to supermind. As you practice TM more, That beautiful state of consciousness filters into your daily life and begins to shape every aspect of brain functioning from memory to creativity to performance and also to the sheer joy of living.
2: I love Perfect Bars. I've talked about them before on here, how much I love them, how many of them I've eaten, which is an extraordinary number. But there's not just Perfect Bars. The company, Perfect Snacks, make a variety of products like protein bars, peanut butter cups, and kids snack bars. And they're all made with freshly ground nut butter, organic honey, and 20 organic superfoods. You're sure to find something that you'll love. Of course, my favorite is the standard Perfect Bar, dark chocolate chip peanut butter although their peanut butter cups are amazing too and you keep them in the fridge and so they're cold if you're not already convinced they're also non-GMO project verified they're gluten-free they're soy-free they're kosher and they're low GI and they are delicious so right now perfect snacks is offering 15% off your online order just go to perfectsnacks.com/wolf shop their refrigerated snacks at perfectsnacks.com/wolf today to get 15% off your order We want you to be prepared for snack time. So, go to perfectsnacks.com slash wolf to stock up and save 15%. I was very fascinated by the studies on the default mode network. You referenced in your book a study that I really like and I've participated in, which is Dan Gilbert's study on um you know what people are doing and and he kind of came out with a a title you know is a wandering mind an unhappy mind
0: no no he didn't do it that way he said the wandering mind is an unhappy
2: one yes the wandering mind is an unhappy mind your perspective on it was interesting because i found for myself by and large that a wandering mind at least the wandering mind that i have is not a very happy mind. And so, you know, in those cases, what we're doing is turning off, you know, in mindfulness practice, other things, turning off the default mode network. And that's, that's being a little bit more focused. Now you're almost describing a third type of thing here, which is not your ordinary wandering mind. It's the kind of mind you come across uh, through TM training.
0: Yes, I think you've nailed it. Because, you know, when your mind normally wanders, it's usually because some problem has popped into your head. So let's say you're, doing work on a computer, you're filling out, uh, you're punching numbers into a spreadsheet, for example, or whatever you're doing. And then suddenly you remember, "Uh uh-oh, my car, the meter on my car is expired or something. Uh, Or I wonder what my girlfriend is up to. She wasn't feeling well this morning. I wonder how she's feeling. So your mind is wandering. But the way the mind works is unresolved issues pop into your mind to be noodled over and processed and fixed. So it's not surprising that wandering is often in the normal course of events associated with some level of unhappiness. But what happens when your mind wanders, if you want to put it that way, during TM is it's actually a very joyful thing. And I describe in my book a walk that I might have where I'm thinking about this, thinking about that. My mind is wandering here and there. And um, it's, you know, very joyful. And then all of a sudden, I'm riveted by something. I mentioned grass growing through the asphalt, which looks as green as emeralds, um, and absolute delight to watch and to look at. So, yes, then I'm being mindful, but I'm not being mindful because somebody told me to. I'm being mindful because that is where my attention was drawn. And that's not what they mean by mindfulness at all. Uh, but it is a sense of being very alert to the world around us in all its its glory, basically.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that I agree that that's not what is meant by mindfulness on, on some hand, I think the goal of the practice is to be able to see the beauty that's kind of right around us. Um, And I think the thing about that I've read about the default mode network and what Daniel Gilbert did and all that is that um, it's when our mind is wandering off to very self referential things, you know, where we're just kind of thinking about ourselves and how we fit and what we, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. And, that leads into with tm ultimately talking about you know who you really are and i think we haven't had a chance to get much into supermind and we're quickly running out of time but supermind from your perspective is a mind that uh you know functions better in all aspects has access to different areas of consciousness and and one of the things that you talk about is discovering who you really are
0: yes i think it's true we have perhaps not given supermind its due. It's the mind waking up, the mind in all its full potential. That's why I say supermind. And I'll just say from personal experience and from watching many people meditate, and also we have a survey of more than 600 people, that everything you would want in terms of feeding that good wolf is grown when you have a supermind. It's not just that you're a better person, but you're a happier person. You're more effective. You're more productive. You're more creative. And I want to also emphasize that it's not a matter of abstract concepts. It's a matter of specific instances. That's why I just load the book with very intriguing stories from very intriguing people. When I say, you know, who are you really? Somebody who really epitomized that question is Hugh Jackman, who said that TM, after many years, has, has given him a sense of authenticity, who he really is, not just a famous actress, singer, dancer, but who he is as a person. And so it is with a homeless man who I feature that he has had a terrible history of feeding the bad wolf drugs, crime, violence, incarceration. Now on the outside, having learned TM, he walks in the street in his uniform. He has a sort of job that was given to him by a charity where he says, I'm greeted every day by people. They nod their head, they smile, they're pleased I'm cleaning the street. It feels so wonderful to be part of ordinary society. And then he says at lunchtime, I go into Central Park, I sit on the slopes, I close my eyes, I think my mantra, I hear the birds, and I'm the happiest person imaginable. So that's what the supermind is all about, whether you're homeless or whether you're a famous actor or whether you're a psychiatrist or whether you have uh, a wonderful podcast as you do, uh, you can be the best that you can be.
2: And the way to the supermind, from your perspective, is through transcendental meditation.
0: You know, I don't claim that there's only one way to get anywhere. I'm all for saying there are many doors to dharma. Yeah, there are many ways to getting good things, but this is one very reproducible, dependable, uh, reliable way, and a way that I know, yeah. uh, and that I want to share with the reader. For getting
2: there. Yeah. Well, like I said earlier on, I'm kind of fascinated right now with transcendental meditation because, like I said, I started doing it, I did it a long time ago. And then uh, most of my meditation experience has been various forms of mindfulness meditation. So it's been really interesting for me for the last three months to really get deep into transcendental meditation. And I will say a thank you to you because your books are very good. Why to? I read your books and I'm like, I better get that second 20 minutes in today. <laughs> you know, it's, it's helped me. It's helped me remember more regularly my motivation for why I want to meditate, why it feels important to me. And, and so that's one of the things with, with TM that I've started doing is at doing that second session nearly every day, you know, that second <laughs> 20 minute session.
0: I'm so happy you, you say that. And here's where supermind comes in once again, because, you know, you can say, Well, I'll miss the 20 minutes and it's not a big deal. But firstly, it is a big deal because I don't feel the same if I haven't had that. I can tell the difference now in terms of how I feel in the immediate sense. But the other thing is I realize that I'm not just meditating for those 20 minutes. I'm meditating so that I can grow all these functions that we've talked about, all these things that constitute feeding the good wolf, my mind is growing with each meditation i feel it and i uh, that's why i wanted to share it so if transcendence was how tm settles down the overstressed nervous system the supermind is how it wakes up the mind to its full potential
2: Excellent. Well, I think that is a great place to wrap up. I'll have links on the website to your books, to your website, and all that stuff um, out at oneyoufeed.net. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. And maybe we'll do this again soon.
0: Oh, well, that would be wonderful. And do send me all the links because I'll post them on my social media as well. Excellent. Okay, fantastic. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.
2: Bye.
1: You can learn more about Dr. Norman E. Rosenthal and this podcast at oneufeed.net/slash-norm.